Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that raid Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is... Going to do the same thing again year after year? Oh no! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Random Troy Radio, episode three hundred and fifty-five. Coming to you on Wednesday, January twenty-second. We're going to talk about big coordinator news for USC. Graham Harrell is staying, and Clay Helton has seemingly found his man over on defense. Talk about more news, including the twenty. 20 schedule finally coming out. We'll get some reaction about that and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansite.com and our phone number is 213 373 one eight seven two. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. You know, we're going to talk about the news in our next segment, like we usually do in every single episode. But there's something huge that came out in the last few days that I think we just need to tackle right from the beginning. Uh, Alicia, something's back, and it's coming back, and it's been requested and it's here. The drop is back, baby. Yeah, it is. You excited? It, we we it, thought it we'd is, retired that thing. We, we thought it was gone forever. We thought it was just going to be the drop that we always play to kind of level our audio. But no, it is back. According to a report from Keely Orr of USCFootball.com, Daniel Matterbebe is back with the Trojans looking for a six-year of eligibility after sitting out all of 2018 and 19. Daniel in Mater Bay Bay. Hey, Bay Bay. Hey, Bay Bay. Hey, Bay Bay. We got a Josh Mater Bay Bay sighting on, on Twitter telling uh, the nation that his brother's the best tight end in the country and, you know, things are, good things are going to happen for him. And now, yeah, we hear that Daniel is back and it looks like he's going to get a sixth year of eligibility and the tight end position is uh, 
once more returned to glory at USC. Allegedly, maybe. We'll see. Yeah, it's the biggest podcast news we've had in a long, long, long time. Uh, whipping out the Bay drop. But the interesting thing is, you know, talk about this from a football perspective. I don't remotely understand it at all. Like, wh- where, where, where is he going to play? Like, uh, I would love, gonna- I would love to see him, you know, have a, a role on this team and all that stuff. I just, I just don't know where it's going to happen. Looking at what USC's offense is, we've talked about this before. Uh, the tight ends are essentially running backs; they're fullbacks, right? And the what we would consider a tight end, essentially how it's being used. Uh, would be the inside receivers, right? Like Drake London is an inside receiver, and he was used as essentially like a tight end that was just lined up outside the whole time uh, this past season. I can't imagine that being Daniel Monterbebe's game. And on the other hand, if he's coming back, why would he want to be a glorified fullback in this offense? I don't see that either. Like, I, I, I don't understand. Explain what? this to me. Well, I mean, maybe he just wants to play one last year of football before he goes pro in something other than sports. I mean, maybe he just likes... Maybe. Maybe he likes being around his team. I, I've, I've got no idea. I'm with you. From a football perspective, it'll be a little bit of a surprise if he's able to find the role that he once had. But, you know, injuries happen. USC could move receivers around and all of a sudden he could be a, a huge target for USC. Uh, you could give USC a different look. They could throw out random two tight end sets if they really felt like it, uh, or three tight ends if we're counting Drake London as another tight end, which I do. So I don't know. I, I think I think there's uh, obviously going to be a role for him. Um, and and frankly, USC's tight end depth was not particularly good in this past season. And if if Eric Cromenhoek wasn't around, USC had real issues with with that position so maybe USC needs another guy in there who can do the the fullbacky job that Eric Cromenhoek has been doing for them so you know it's it's going to be interesting especially when you consider that USC is losing both tackles maybe you need some blocking help on the edge if you're going into the season and and, and planning for for some uncertainty on on the edge there on your offensive line I get that I I I, I get it but Ethan Ray uh, is going to be eligible to play. Uh, there's Jude Wolf. Um, you still got Josh Follow and Eric Cromenhoek is really good in that in that role. I think he Eric Cromenhoek's role in this offense I think is fantastic for his skill set. Um, so I just don't know where I I, I don't know. I, I mean I'm I'm open to to anything. I, I will gladly eat my words here. Um and, and be proven, you know, wrong or what or whatnot. I I just I I want to see it. I'm I'm very very intrigued how it all comes together. Well, we definitely will see. We'll, we'll see how it all goes, and we'll see if if there is a role for him or not. But again, it's a situation where if you're planning for injuries, then you you don't say no to having Daniel Amadebe back, do you? Well, I, I'm not saying that you would say no to having him back, period. But like when you're we know that the scholarship limit is going to be an issue. SC's already pretty much on that limit right now. Uh, there's not many scholarships available for 
the incoming coming class. There's not that many scholarships available to go out and really dabble in the the transfer portal that much. Um, we're only talking about a you know a couple of scholarships here and there, and so I think it's interesting that you bring on Daniel Monterbebe who hasn't played in a couple of years. I don't know. I, I mean, like I said, I, I would love nothing more than the story of it of him coming back and having a great season. I think it would be awesome. I, th- I think everyone would would love to see that. And we get to play the hell out of this. I'd love it. I, I'd, I'd love to see that. It would be fun. Uh, I just don't. I don't know. I, he he doesn't strike me as the the guy who would be split out wide, which which is where I think that if you are looking to add a tight end, I think you want to add someone who would be split out wide that you can use similarly to how Drake London was used last year. Well, see, I That's do see. I do see him there if he's not diminished athletically over these past two years where we haven't seen him where he's been dealing with what this random, vague, weird injury that he's had in the hip groin area. Uh, if if he's not diminished athletically, I think you could use him in there. Uh, you definitely could get something out of him in that regard. But I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's really hard to say just because USC is... We now know a little bit of what this new offense looks like, but we also know that Graham Harrell's willing to ship things around and try new things, and we'll see right. what, what ultimately comes of it. Yeah, it's, a, it's another weapon for USC and for Graham Harrell on offense, and we'll have lots of things to discuss, especially going into spring camp. And spring camp means spring camp previews, which you can hear over on Patreon uh, coming up next month in February, that's when we ramp up the spring camp previews. And Patreon's great because you not only get all of our bonus content, two bonus shows a week for as little as five fifty-five a month, but for three dollars and thirty-three cents a month, cheaper than that cup of coffee you're, you're drinking right now. Uh, you can get all of our main shows ad-free over on Patreon, and then for five fifty-five, you get all of our bonus content plus the ad-free main shows. And then for 10 bucks, you get to join the Rock Crew over on Slack, our little private cave, our, our, our fan cave, talking about USC football and so much more uh, with the Robots. So you can do that over at patreon.com slash Reign of Troy and uh, join the club. Yeah, this week there's been lots of discussion around USC's defensive coordinator pick and the pros and cons and how different players will get used uh, in, in when we get to see the new DC come in and yeah, it's been, it's been super fun. And then uh, of course the, the random talk like about jury duty and the like, which I have coming up. How excited about, about that are you? Now I, I've done, I did jury duty like five years ago and it was awesome. Like it was, it was seriously a rewarding experience, but the timing on this one's a little inconvenient and the timing on jury duty is always really inconvenient. So uh, we'll see. All right, all right. Uh, So much news to get into, including coordinator news, talking about USC's pick for the defensive coordinator, reportedly being Todd Orlando. We'll get into that and the news up next. Let's get into the news and start with USC's reported pick for a new defensive coordinator. 
Uh, this comes from multiple reports, uh, including Adam Rittenberg of ESPN, Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports, Bruce Feldman of The Athletic. The USC is working on hiring Todd Orlando as the new defensive coordinator. He was the defensive coordinator at Texas for the last three years. Before that, he was someone who worked under Matt Wells at uh, Utah State. He was also with Todd Herman over at, at uh, Houston Sandwich in between there. Uh, he was hired as a Texas Tech assistant after being fired from Texas after three seasons uh, in December and hired as an assistant head coach and linebackers coach. He was going to be kind of a co-DC kind of situation for that for him. Uh, but he's left that perch, reportedly, which means he's more than likely headed to USC, uh, going to be official at some point, you would have to assume. All signs currently point to Todd Orlando being the guy. Uh, as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, it's not beneficial yet. But Alicia, your thoughts? Yeah, this is... Um... Uh, a, a a difficult one to kind of wrap my head around because I'm in two minds about it. I think that both of I think the two my two minds are not mutually exclusive, but I think they're also also both completely valid. On the one hand, this is the wrong kind of rehab hire for USC to be making from an optics perspective, just from a what we were looking for kind of perspective from the outside looking in USC is hiring a coach who was fired by Tom Herman, who is in the exact same position as Clay Hilton. So Tom Herman is on the hot seat now and he cleared out his staff in order to reset his tenure at Texas. And part of that purge was Tom Orlando. So Clay Hilton turning around and hiring Todd Orlando is uh, it it just doesn't play well, right? It looks like an on the surface D hire. We I've said from the get go, I want to see USC hiring people who are coveted by others, and someone who just got fired by another college blue blood for two bad seasons after a really good first season is uh is kind of trading in one model for a very similar one if you look at the comparison between Orlando and, and Clancy Pendergast. So the hire, this is something that you were always saying, Michael, is that you judge a hire in the moment and then you judge what that hire does later on down the line. And I feel like this is going to be one of those ultimate ones. In the moment, this is not a great hire. It, down the line, in a year, in two years, this could be a home run hire. And this is where my other mind comes in, where Todd Orlando is somebody who has a pretty good track record in other places. It didn't work out in Texas, but you can also make explanations or excuses for why it didn't work out in Texas. There are people who will tell you he got a raw deal at Texas, that he was a bit of a scapegoat at Texas, that the Texas defense had a lot of injuries that they were dealing with that resulted in their production falling down. Uh so, uh, like, I, I'm just sort of, like, balancing out. On the one hand, this is a defensive coordinator whose defense was ranked 68th in S&P Plus, in SP Plus this year. USC's under Clancy Pendergast was ranked 60th, and that got Pendergast fired. And on the other hand, this is a defensive coordinator who had a top 15 defense at Texas in 2017 and top 20 defenses at uh, Houston and Utah State before that, and could ultimately be somebody who USC takes advantage of them being in a low position and needing to prove themselves, as you're always saying, Michael, but 
I am I from second to second, I could give you the argument for why this might work out and why also this is a bad hire going back and forth and back and forth with myself, let alone with other people. So the the way I look at it, I, I, I remember putting on Twitter a month ago, I, I said my first two calls would be Charlie Strong and Todd Orlando. And here it is, USC is about to get Todd Orlando. So I'm not going to come out here and say that this is a bad hire or anything, because I don't think it is a bad hire. I think it's an okay hire. I completely understand the idea that it's not a sexy hire. He was just fired uh, at Texas. But I, I think the idea of you want to get someone who wasn't fired, you want to get someone who's liked at their job, I think that's so simplistic that I think that it, it loses a lot of context here. Because I think what USC was, the position USC is in, there's no stability with Clay Helton. You have to get some, and I've talked about this, I feel like at nauseum for like a month now. You have to go out and get someone who has something to prove. So that means one of two things. You either need to find the next Graham Harrell, the, the, the defensive version of Graham Harrell, which is someone who has a high upside but is a diamond in the rough guy who needs an, an opportunity, needs one opportunity to prove himself to take a huge leap forward, right? Well, who is that guy? I don't know who that guy is, right? But hiring that person is hiring someone who doesn't have the experience or the resume that Todd Orlando does. At the same point, Todd Orlando has two years um, in which his defense has regressed. They were 14th in SP Plus in 2017 over at Texas. And if that's the Todd Orlando you get, hell yeah, you sign up for that a million times over. This is a guy who has a track record of being uh, of having good defenses at Utah State. He turned Houston's defense around in year two. Uh, Texas defense was great at stopping the run. And, and if he does those things again, this is great. He's also struggled against the pass, something that USC has struggled with. He, he's done a lot of these things where it ends up feeling like the worst case scenario is that SC just re-upped Clancy Pendergast. But this is where I go into the idea of, again, USC is in a position where they don't have a stable situation. Brent Venables was not walking through that door. You know what I mean? Like they weren't ever going to get someone who was this ideal person that they were going to overpay or that they were going to, you know, go out. Like I saw people saying to go out and get somebody, an NFL guy where, well, what does that mean? That an NFL guy who's successful is not going to leave to go to USC. Uh, then you're, you're going after an NFL guy like Joe Barry, who's had a up and down resume as an NFL guy, right? Like, so any of these things to me come back to there's, there's, there's positives and there's negatives. And to me, Todd Orlando has enough positives. They think it's worth the roll of the dice. Um, because that's the situation USC is in. They don't have, they're not in the position to be able to hire whoever the hell they want. They need to go out and hire someone who has something to prove. And because this is basically a do or die season for USA, right? Um, we said that about last year, but surely it's the same thing this this year again. And Todd Orlando has a 3-3-5 defense. It's a little flexible. We know that Clancy Pendergast was flexible, but I thought Clancy Pendergast, uh, you know, sticking to a four-man front last year was a little bit backwards when we see where the defenses are going. Uh, in, in 2020, where offenses are going, uh, I don't think it helped USC. 
and I want to see what a three three five can do. Roll with the nickel, but use some, use some more linebackers. See what you can do with the defensive line. See if you can find a way to stop the run. I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does with USC's playmakers. What happens to EA Naoteote? Uh, what happens to Drake London in the three three five? Does he end up uh, as an outside linebacker where he's like a, a, a rush guy? Over at Texas, there was the B backer uh, and also a rover that moved around. Like you're gonna come come up with interesting names for these linebackers. We're gonna have to figure out all this stuff all over again. But I think it's gonna be interesting what happens to USC's personnel. Uh, but nonetheless, there's a chance that this backfires, and there's a chance that this. Uh, and ends up being a success for USC. And that's the position that you're in when you go, you know, what is it? 13 and 12 in the last two seasons. Like who did you expect to hire? Right? Like someone who has the ability, the upside and the potential downside of Todd Orlando is always who you're going to end up with in a perfect scenario outside of going and hiring a complete unknown, the, the Graham Harrell of defense, um, who could have worked out too, but those are those guys are hard to identify as well. Well, and that was always going to be the, the struggle. But the thing I'll say for Todd Orlando is I do think he's a better hire than Joe Barry. Um, he his his failures are not as thorough as Joe Barry's failures have been in the past. Um, there's a lot of USC fans who are who are shouting for Chris Richard. I've never been on the Chris Richard train, but maybe he's the one that would have been. The rehab hire where you don't have as clear of a failure in there um, because he was fired from the Seahawks, but it was a kind of surprising fire that firing that came out of out of left field in a season when they have serious injury issues and all that kind of stuff. But like Chris Richard has his own questions to answer. So I don't think it was as cut as dry as just go get Chris Richard and everything would be hunky dory. So, yeah, like I said, like I, I, I can get on board with this. But I think that it's a reasonably healthy perspective to take going into 2020 to be skeptical of all of USC's moves until we can see how they work out. Sure. Um, yeah. Which is how you should be all the Anyways, time. yeah. But but no yeah. one at USC has the benefit of the doubt yet for me to say right. for sure that Clay Hilton knows how to pick his defensive coordinator. Now, at the time when when he was hired, I was really happy with the Clancy Pendergast defense. Uh, as a as a coordinator hire and it worked out in year one I just I have to think that maybe Clancy Pendergast just got uh, sort of ran out of steam as a as a college DC or as a, as a coach and maybe that's what Todd Orlando brings like you said at worst you're getting Clancy Pendergast 2.0 and maybe maybe you just get that marginal bit better just because Todd Orlando is slightly younger slightly more uh, enthusiastic, slightly more willing to recruit, slightly more whatever, whatever, whatever it is. Maybe you have upgraded just ever so slightly, but it, it's not like this isn't the home run that and you're right to say that Dave Aranda, I mean, uh, uh, Brett Venables or Dave Aranda or, you know, any of the, the, the premier defensive coordinators out there, they were not going to come to USC but there, I think that there was th- this. This feels like a fallback option. This really does. And sometimes fallback options work out. Pete Carroll was a fallback option. So, you know, a I, I'm, I'm open from what though? A what, like, what, what were your expectations? I don't know. They could have gotten. They could have gone out and poached a, a power five defensive coordinator from somebody who was currently the, employed. They, they 
They could have gone they out and gotten Zach Arnett from San Diego State uh, as an up and comer from the G five. Been, been a better sure because they could have gone out you know, and gotten he, Rocky Long. They convinced him to come out of retirement. Like there were there were other better options. You can't tell me Todd Orlando was the best option USC could have gotten. That no, much- he's not the best option they could have gotten. But but I just I I don't see how he's demonstrably worse than anybody else. I don't see that. He again, it just goes back to he was just fired for the exact same reasons that Clancy Pendergast was fired. Right, but but so, he, but it's a little bit different, though. You're it's trading in one in that- lemon of a car for another one that from the same dealership, where you're going. Well, sure. maybe this one's a lemon too. Maybe this one runs perfectly fine, and you'll be happy for the next five years. But you know, all I'm saying is, it's just it's not an inspiring hire from USC. And, sure, and but I don't think there. I don't think there was. There were one on inspiring the hires out there. That's for sure. There were. I, I I I disagree. USC could have gone to Brett Venables and thrown every dollar that they have at him. They and weren't going to get Brent Venables. Like you're out of your mind if you think they. I were. have seen enough uh, enough things happen because of money to say that if USC and have you have you seen SC do that? No, but that's what I'm saying. If exactly. USC wa- no, but exactly. you're you're operating under the USC that lowers expectations. I'm saying. That, that that a USC that wanted to raise expectations and go make a uh, a statement of a hire, they could have gone out and done something bigger. I'm not saying they should have or that like because that could have been a waste of money. That could have set up more buyout problems for USC down the line. But you can't sit here and say that it's not possible for USC have done that. We've seen other programs around the country do it all the time. So that's all I'm saying is USC just chose not to go that route. If that's the way when they choose, SC they get Todd Orlando, and we'll see how he does. But it's not an inspiring hire, no matter how you 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 know dress it up. He just got Graham fired Harrell, from Texas. He's not an inspiring hire. Gr- Graham Harrell took uh, an extension uh, that pays him almost a third of what Texas was going to give him. Yeah. And 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 you're gonna tell me that they they well they could have just gone out and got Brent Venables. Like, well, maybe they could have gone and got Charlie. Why Strong. would Brent Venables have come to SC? I'm not trying to argue that USC would have gotten Brent Venables. I'm saying that there is a spectrum of hires above Todd sure. Orlando that would have been significantly better than Todd Orlando. Just because you've lowered your expectations doesn't mean that there that those things don't <laughs> exist. Just because you know you're not going to land the supermodel doesn't mean supermodels don't exist and that you couldn't, in theory, in a one in a thousand billion chance, meet up with whatever, uh, I don't know the name of these supermodels, but... <laughs> to, to be fair, like... Have you seen Hitch? Low- <laughs> uh, what? Have you seen Hitch? No, I don't know what Hitch is. In the movie Hitch, the Kevin, sure. what's his face, gets with this beautiful woman that everyone says is out of his league, and it just has, so happens that they vibe. Like I'm again, I, you, I'm not arguing this point. I'm saying, Char- sure. would Charlie Strong have been a better DCIer than than Todd Orlando? I say absolutely. Uh, I yes. think Charlie Strong would have been just as much of a risk because he hasn't been a DC in almost ten years. Yeah, but at least he's a, at least he wasn't just fired for the same thing that you fired Clancy Pendergast for. But Todd Orlando was an elite DC two years ago. He was he had you one good year at Texas. Yeah, and he had multiple with good Charlie years Strong's at, players at, at, at Utah State, at Utah State and Houston. Which I, I think, if you have a great uh, like a 
top 25 defense at Utah State and Houston, I could argue that that's more impressive than being number 14 at Texas. The point is, I do it's not, not that I've lowered my expectations. Okay, it's it's not that I've lowered my expectations. You have lowered your expectations. I I agree so, with you. It's no, fine but, to be fair and look at this from a fair perspective where Todd Orlando really could work out and USC is working with what they have, and that's fine and we understand that, but also call a spade a spade. It's not a great hire. It's a fallback I'm hire. I'm not saying it's a great I'm 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 saying that I don't think there was a great hire to 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 be had. Given what we know, given given, I think there were we great hires to be had if USC wanted it hard enough. We know that USC doesn't want it hard enough. Exactly, or is in a case. difficult position. But that that's not to say that those yes. hires weren't out there. They were out there. USC just didn't make them. Rocky Long was out there. Charlie Strong was out there. Uh, th- there were, you know, USC could go would, in and and if Texas would is Rocky looking Long at, have really given you the vapors. No, but Rocky Long is an established head coach with a winning record that actually would have been somebody who is successful now. So my, my I, other point I, I, here, I've already graded this hire as a D. Rocky Long could have been a B. That's not giving me the vapors. See, I think I think I think the gap being that str- that huge between them is is insane to me. Uh it, like I I don't think that they're that far apart. Anyways, the the point I'm making I I hate the word expectations. Because I, I I feel like expectations, like I don't lowering expectations. I'm lowering what I'm expecting from USC, but that doesn't mean that the expectations at USC in my mind are lower. Does that make sense? Like I like to me, expectations has two words, right? Like what I expect out of USC is very low. What I think that the expectations should be at USC and the standard is still high because this this is USC and they need to yeah in a perfect world they need to go out there and you know use throw the their, money the that they saved around. on Graham Harold to to force somebody's hand that could have happened yes it might yes. not have been financially and, and be sound though that, i give them that be the big boy that they are yes and and so my standard for USC is high what I'm expecting is low, but to me, in my mind, that's not lowering expectations by what people generally say, because I think what people are talking about expectations are talking about standards. They're not talking about what they're expecting. Does that make sense? Yeah, but well, this is, this is like semantics in, a little this, too you're much? arguing semantics. This is like when I would get a B and my parents would ask me, why did you get a B? And my brother would get a C and my parents would congratulate him. And I'd look at them and go like, but it's still a C. Like if I had gotten a C, you'd have been pissed. But they knew the level that my my brother was not an academic, so they knew that the level that he was gonna be at. So you're you're my parents looking at my brother going like, well, he was working with only so much, and they got the C, and that's fine. Where I'm looking at it going like, but it's still a C. Let's call a C a C. But see, I'm not giving USC credit for this. Like that, that's the thing. Like, but you're saying there weren't gi- any other better hires out there. There were better hires, objectively better hires. It's not that I'm saying that there weren't better hires out there. I'm saying it's not like there was a sea of hires out there that that SC could have gotten all these people and like done so much better. Very clearly, like yeah, they could have done better. Sure, obviously, like it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that. What I'm saying is. I don't think realistically that there were all these opportunities because of the situation USC is in with Clay Helton. Everyone knows he's on a hot seat. B, the USC's ability or inability to spend cash 
like all these things like and and wield their power as as a as a blue blood like SC doesn't do those things so because of that i don't think it it was reasonable to sit here and expect the moon that's what i'm saying i don't think it was expecting the moon to look at usc and say go out and get a clear improvement and what they got out and got was a Maybe improvement, but at least you didn't get worse than you had. I think it's an interesting roll of the dice. And, and I think that if USC, coming off the last two seasons you've had, given the head coaching situation you're in, uh, you're you're gonna you're in a position where you have to roll the dice. And if you're going to roll a dice, uh, Todd Orlando someone I want to roll the dice on. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, like dice. I said, I'm willing to see how this plays out. But maybe I'm not a gambling person, and maybe I wasn't that interested in rolling a dice. Well, then... You're in the wrong place. Well, there That's you all go. I'm saying. All right, uh, let's take a quick break and come back and get into the rest of the news. All right, Alicia, let's get into the next part of the news. Uh, talking about the offense, Graham Harrell interviewed with the Eagles, but he's ultimately staying at USC. Uh, Eagles reporter Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer had originally reported the Eagles were going to be interviewing Graham Harrell. Bruce Feldman came back and said that he was supposed to be a candidate, but is expected to remain. Uh, He said sources tell The Athletic, him and Antonio Morales. Antonio Morales from The Athletic had a quote, uh, was told by a source that Harrell wanted to continue doing what he started at USC that he likes it there. Other college programs displayed some interest last month. This seems to be a situation where Graham Harrell is going, talking about gambling a few minutes ago, Graham Harrell is going all in on what USC provides, which is talent on offense. There's so much talent on this offense in terms of playmakers. You've got Keaton Slovis. you got a wide receiver core that has Tyler Vaughns, Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, Kyle Ford, Brew McCoy, Drake London, so on, and so many dudes that USC has at their disposal. Uh, in the running back uh, backfield, you, you've got Stephen Carr and Vi Malapai and, and Marquis Stepp, and there's so many reasons to think that if you're Graham Harrell, you can improve this offense even more than you did in year one. And that if you're Graham Harrell and you want a head coaching job, you can parlay that and do something better. And so I think it makes sense of why he is coming back and betting on himself to to do that thing, which is why I think that that's why the defensive coordinator had to be someone betting on yourself too, and Todd Orlando's kind of betting on himself also. But nonetheless, Graham Harrell stays, and that's huge for SA because you did not need to replace you, – you, or sorry, you did not want to be in the position to have to replace all three coordinators – from a position of zero leverage that Clay Elton has. Yeah, I, I, this is this is big news for USC. And, and also it goes to show that Graham Harrell does see what he has at USC. And, and there is a really good point. Why leave USC? This is what we said when he was reportedly in, in the running for the Texas job. Why leave USC to go somewhere where you're going to have to install your offense, start from scratch, and then roll the dice that way? At USC, you already have a quarterback. You already know what your receivers look like. You already know what running backs you have available to you. You've already spent a, a year installing the offense. 
why leave just before the payoff of that really comes to fruition in year two? It just makes a lot of sense for him. I think his best bet to continue to grow as a coach in his coaching career is to show what year two looks like with Graham Harrell, with all of these athletes. Um, I, I think it it would be much, the trajectory of his career will be better off for him at staying at USC, even if Clay Helton gets fired after the 2019 season, after the 2020 season, his career trajectory will be helped by getting year two with Keaton Slovis under his belt, rather than going to start something new in Philadelphia, start something new in Texas, wherever it goes. So I think Graham Harrell's made the right decision. And coincidentally, that bodes extremely well for USC because the same argument we just had about the DC, we were about to have that about an OC if USC had to go find oh, some new OC to, to hire and basically who were you going to get again was going to be a question that was that would be uh, waged back and forth. Yeah. And, you know, I said that Clay Helton has zero leverage. I mean, the leverage that he has is the talent at the yes. disposal, right? Which is and why California. I, yeah. And which is why the, the argument that I keep making is go after someone who has, go after a staff who has something to prove because what you have are resources in terms of talent uh, prove what you need to prove with the talent that we have. There you go. That that That's your pitch if you're Clay Helton, which is a great pitch to Graham Harrell because Graham Harrell sees Keaton Slovis, the Namunra, and all those guys uh, as perfect weapons for him to use in his offense. Uh, so it ultimately works out for SC keeping Graham Harrell. Other news in terms of people who are staying, uh, let's talk about the juniors. Uh, guys who are coming back. Elijah Vera Tucker. Jay Tufele, Tyler Vaughns, three guys who all had the ability to go pro uh, and enter into the 2020 NFL draft. They're all back. USC is only losing Austin Jackson, uh, the starting left tackle. And that's not to belittle Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson is a huge loss for USC and ultimately, ultimately means that they have to replace both tackles, left tackle Austin Jackson and right tackle Drew Richmond, who transferred from Tennessee last year. Uh, which is going to be a huge undertaking. Absolutely. Uh, he's someone who was projected, Austin Jackson, um, of potential being a first-round pick. But getting back AVT, getting back J. Tufele, getting back Tyler Vons, that makes the loss of Austin Jackson a little bit more pal- palpable. Palatable. Palatable? Palatable. Uh, I don't know if palatable. Pal- palatable. I mean, the losing Austin Jackson is impalatable. Unpalatable? Anyway, anyways, sure. but it certainly makes lightens the load of, of work that USC needs to do this offseason when it comes to fixing their offensive line. It's one thing to have to replace both starting tackles. It's another thing to have to rebuild the entire left side of your line when you don't really have any clear answers to do so. Right. Uh, at least, you know, it's already going to be hard enough to replace Austin Jackson. Drew Richmond is easy enough because you get Jalen McKenzie and then you bring Andrew Warhees back and he can slot back right right into the to the right guard spot. But the left side of the line has a lot more question marks and it's the question marks are going to revolve around Austin Jackson's spot the whole way through. If you take Elijah Vera Tucker out of there too, then we're talking about, well, okay, is Liam Jimmins your guy at left guard? Is you know, do do you turn to uh, one of the true freshmen that are coming in is is Jason Rodriguez ready to go uh, at tackle for you right away? Like it, it's gonna it, it's already going to be tough enough, and and it was going to be double the toughness without AVT there. So you bring back 
three of your five starters. In actuality, you bring back four starters with Andrew Voorhees returning from injury. And the, the, the task is significantly less daunting for sure. And then, you know, I, I wide receiver, you get Tyler Vaughn's back. On the defensive side of the ball, you get Jay Tufele, Marlon Tupelotu, Brandon Peely, all those guys back. So in the grand scheme of things, you're not actually losing very much. I mean, Michael Pittman's big, Austin Jackson's big, but the the rest of USC's, it's a small senior class that's graduating, and you only lost one guy to early enrollment, I mean, uh, to early declaration for the NFL. It means you're bringing back your strong core from 2019, a 2019 team that was certainly flawed, but had the beginnings, the foundations of some really decent things going on, uh, certainly offensively. Yeah, as many as 17 starters are back, and that is, that's a big deal for SC, uh, which is why I think that you know, going back to talking about the defense in, in the last segment, I, I think is the, the, the point that I think is important here. I think it's reasonable to expect the offense to take another step forward. Even if it's a half step, they're not getting worse. Uh, Keaton Slovis is back. All those receivers are back. Yeah, you lose uh, both tackles, but I would imagine that Jalen uh, McKenzie sl- slides to one of those tackle spots, and we've seen him start at tackle before. Um, I, if, In that sense, it feels like they're replacing one ta- tackle instead of both to me. Uh, maybe I'm just giving them way too much of the benefit of the doubt there, but either way, I think that the offense is probably taking a step forward. We know what the jump between year one and year two for quarterbacks in a system is usually pretty strong. Graham Harrell has talked about this. Keaton Slovis is only going to get better, right? So that's a good thing. Which means on defense, you don't need to get that much better. Like, USC's defense, in general, should be no worse than they were last year. If they're 5% better, 10% better, if you couple that with the, the improvements on offense... Like, this team legitimately has a chance to win 9-10 games next year and absolutely contend in the conference. It's just a matter of getting all those things to work. It's getting, it's a matter of getting rid of all the stupid mistakes we see this team do over and over and over again. But the talent's there. Bringing back all these starters, bringing back 17 guys and a whole bunch of reserves that have starting experience, all the stuff is there. There's no more excuses. Um... It's just it's it's not like the, you can't be talking about injuries. You can't talk about anything. It's all make or break in 2020 because the the, the pieces are there. If nothing else, the pieces are there. Well, they, and they've been there for a long time, but they're in yeah. better place now than they were last year going into last year. So you were replacing. I mean, I was just going through on on randertro.com. I'm getting ready to write an article about how USC replaces each uh, departing senior and, and early entrant. And like, I, I look back at what I had done last year for that. And it's a long, long, long thing. Cause there are like eight or nine starters that I had to deal with replacing. Like there are only five guys that you really need to worry about uh, after this, after this season. So you're in a much stronger position in this off season than you were last off season. So, the question that always looms over Clay Hilton, Graham Harrell, and now Todd Orlando is, can you take this springboard and take that step forward, or will you continue to stagnate? Now, we've seen USC stagnate one too many times for me to bet on them taking the step forward, but 
it's it's right there. The next rung of the ladder is right there if they're just willing to to put in what they need to put in and and get up there. Yeah, and you know we talk about everyone returning on offense, but look at the go look at the defense. So we're talking about USC moving to a three three five, right? Three three five flex uh, is what Todd Orlando's defense tends to be called. Um, the three three five is is the the hinge on it, the flex part. Is really that that B backer um, rush end position, which I think is going to be the interesting position for who plays that for USC. Um, but your three guys up front, let's just hypothetically: Tufele, Tupelotu, and Jackson. Boom, got him done. Um, your your two of the three linebackers are probably going to be Naoteote uh, and Kanai Mauga, uh, maybe uh, Ayasefa. Either way, the, the guys with experience, Abdul Malik McLean, maybe he's that B backer guy. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's Drake Drake Jackson, uh, and Brandon Peely goes to the defensive starts on the defensive line too. Like I don't know. I think there's there's plenty of options, but all those guys have experience right now, right? And then you look at the secondary. You bring back both safeties, Talano Hufanga and Isaac Taylor Stewart. And you bring back all of those young corners that got experience last year who all played well, even if they were young and, and showed bright spots, right? Uh, ITS, Elijah Griffin, Chris Steele, Dorian Hewitt, um, Max Williams. Like, we can talk about the talent not being there for USC moving forward when you look at the last couple of recruiting classes. But to me, this is the last season in which SC has elite talent and that there's surely no excuse because the pieces are freaking there. Uh, certainly on, on de- the defense is so much better in terms of talent than they showed over the last couple of seasons. And you can point yes. to injuries, you can point to yes. scheme, you can point to whatever. But there is so much more there to be mined. And here's the one thing I'll say for Todd Orlando. We talked about 2017. He has that Texas defense uh the in in the first year there with uh with with Herman well, let me look at what they ra- they ranked um let me see they ranked 14th and SP plus 14th and SP plus the previous year and those were those were Charlie Strong's players but Texas had still been recruiting quite well even before right. then the year before that Texas defense was ranked 50th in SP plus so we've seen Todd Orlando come in and immediately get more out of the talent that was available to him than the previous defensive coordinator had been doing. Now, does that mean it's a guarantee to work out the same way at USC? I don't know. Maybe not. We'll see. But the right. track record is there that he has been able to turn things around very quickly when you give, when you put a talented roster in front of him. And like you just pointed out, USC is nothing if not a talented roster. Now, we can look here and say... Palaiyanateote was a huge dud in 2019. There were other players who have been duds that we thought were were better than or were going to be better than they ultimately became. Right. But Palaiyanateote is still a player with heaps and heaps and heaps of potential if you put him in the right spot and get more out of him. So get more right. out of him, I, Todd I, Orlando. I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I, I put on t- Twitter in a tweet something about USC having diamonds in the rough. Yeah. Uh, and I included uh, Naote Ote and, and Jay Tufele in that tweet. I think Hufanga, which is probably way inaccurate about Hufanga. Uh, and we got a message from our friend Trent Goodrich, uh, who was like, did you really say 
diamond in the rough for those guys? Like, how could he possibly say that? Which, I mean, totally fair. Like, those guys, five-star talents, right? Like, you, you can't sit here and say that not Toyota is a diamond in the rough. Every coach in America knew who he was as a recruit, right? Um, he was Justin Flo before Justin Flo, right? In terms of a recruit at linebacker and, and, and whatnot, right? At the same point, if you watched last season and you didn't know any recruiting rankings, could you have picked out Nao Teote and J. Tufele as five-star athletes? I don't think so. Certainly not Nao I don't Teote. think so. Yeah. I mean, J. Tufele so, was at least a first-team All-Pac-12 kind of player. He just didn't... But, like, I feel like, like, like that well, here's was what, built on reputation. Here's what I'll say about J. Tufele. J. Tufele... He's been inconsistent. Well, J. Tufele, to me, in 2019, sort of reminded me a little bit different kind of ways because Rasheem Green Green is a different player but almost Rasheem Green in in 2016 where you look at him and say you're you're good you're you're getting there but like man you have another level to go up and then in 2017 right. we see that level that Rasheem Green goes up if USC can get that level out of out of J2 Fele they're going to be rolling on that defensive line but you're right the the five star players that USC has looked like you know, pedestrian at times because of the positions they were put in and, and and clearly the scheme that USC was running last year was not, there were not enough of the changes and the changes that they made didn't do enough to, to turn things around for Clancy Pendergast and maybe Tart Orlando has the answers and he's going to have a lot of new shiny new toys to be working with at USC, that's for sure. Uh, across, top to bottom, they're there. Uh, in- indeed. Uh, last little news nugget here uh, is about the schedule. So we're going to hold that off for a quick second, take a quick break, come right back, talk about the schedule, uh, and then wrap this thing up with a quick bail back. I don't know, Lucy, I'm not going to waste anybody's time with the news drop again. Uh, last little news nugget, though. Uh, the interesting thing came out on Friday. Over at USDfootball.com, Ryan Abraham had, had written this up. Uh, USC considering canceling the game versus UC Davis in 2021. Uh, this is the first FB, uh, FBS versus FCS game in USC history. The Trojans had never played an FCS school since the divisions were realigned in 1978. And one of three schools to never do that, USC, UCLA, and Notre Dame, Trojans two other arch rivals, the other two. I think Washington was one of those schools until Sark came around um, and, and changed things up. Uh, you know, when SC moved or when Washington moved into the Pac-12, that changed things with a nine-game schedule and Washington uh, removed themselves from that list too. But this was a big deal when, when USC put UC Davis on the on the schedule. Nobody liked it because, like we said, it was, even if in a vacuum playing an FCS school is not a big deal when it's part of your tradition. And when it was so easily avoidable as it was for USC at the time, there was no reason for it. So the report from uscfootball.com says, quote, uscfootball.com has learned the USA athletic department is actively trying to replace FCS program at UC Davis on the 2021 football schedule with an FBS opponent. USC has informed US, uh, UC Davis of its desire to cancel the game as a courtesy, according to sources. At this time, there's no signed contract in place for playing an FBS opponent 
to open the 2021 schedule, uh, but our sources were confident that a deal will get done. Alicia, your thoughts? Bravo. Bravo, USC. Um, this should ha- this should get done as quickly as possible. And if you have to pay a premium to get rid of it and and pay somebody to come to USC and and play that game in 2021, then shell out the money that you need to because this is all about optics. And we've had this conversation about Mike Bone and about the failure that he that he had within the fan base to get rid of Clay Helton and the way he's perceived. And one of the things that he can do to rehabilitate himself a little bit, his image, is to little by little put back these pieces that Lynn Swan and Pat Hayden and, and others and, and the USC's athletic department have gone away from. The first thing that he did that I thought was a big step in the right direction in 2020 was getting rid of the um, the, the three uh, athletic department members who showed uh, showing that there is a, going to be more of a cleaning of the house by hook or by crook, you're cleaning out the house, and I'm happy about that. This is another step where they're saying, "Okay, listen, these are this is something that people are mad about." And maybe Steve Lopes in the in the past athletic department had reasons for going this direction, but this is also pissing people off. So how can I make USC people support USC again? Take this off the table. Next, can't wait to hear about Reggie Bush. Yeah, it, it's a win for USC. Uh, now the interesting thing, is, well, if it ultimately comes to be for sure, we'll, we'll hold off and. Hold her breath for a second. Uh, but my biggest questions are what happens now? It takes two to tango, really, right? Like, you can cancel the, the, the UC Davis game, but you've got to replace them. USC essentially has two options here. Uh, replace them with the G5 home game, just tit for tat. Uh, cancel UC Davis and then go out and try to get some team that's available. Uh, ironically, UNLV was open a year ago. They are still open now uh, on 9-4-21, uh, uh, September 4th, 2021. And you can just replace them willy-nilly. The only problem is you're going to be paying them a hell of a lot more money than you would have been paying them a year ago when you include the buyout that you now have to pay UC Davis, which is, again, why this whole thing was stupid in the first place. Um, other G5 teams that you know could could slot in there, are a bunch of schools that have an FCS game uh, that they're playing on that day. There's UConn, Western Kentucky, Wyoming, New Mexico, Colorado State, Air Force, etc. These schools are playing an FCS game. They can reschedule that, push it back a year, uh, something, um, not just buy themselves out of that game. I guess they could, but they could also just reschedule those things. Um, Those teams could be an option, but... A lot of those teams necessarily wouldn't want to add another Power Five uh, team, which to their schedule, which is another issue. When you look at teams like Houston, Tulsa, Middle Tennessee, and UAB, they all have open dates on that date uh, on September fourth. But there's reasons on their schedule. You look at it and say they're probably not going to want to add USC because they're already playing two Power Five games, or they already have two road games uh, and, and whatnot. So really for G5 teams, it comes down to UNLV and UConn. UConn's an interesting one. They host Holy Cross on September 2nd, 2021, but Holy Cross and FCS team can be rescheduled. You can push that back a year or whatnot, push it back two years, whatever you want to do. Um, but UConn also, also an independent school only has eight games scheduled. 
So they need to add four opponents to their schedule. Moving Holy Cross and adding USC could absolutely be a viable option here, uh, which would make UConn a possibility. Uh, outside of that, if you want a Power 5 opponent, it would probably have to be a neutral site game. There's only two Power 5 teams with an opening that day, Boston College and TCU. BC, don't hold your breath. Uh, in week two, they're at UMass, and week three, they're at Temple. Can you imagine, Alicia, if you were Boston College starting a season at USC, at UMass, and at Temple? in the first three weeks of the season. Would you do that? Uh, if I was Boston College, no. No. If you're Boston Never College, you don't years. need that payday badly enough. To, to start with three road games. Yeah. No. It's, it, that's never going to happen. Uh, so I wouldn't put any stock in it being BC. Uh, TCU is the interesting one. They host Cal in week two. They host their arch rival SMU in week four, which means adding a road game more than viable for them a neutral site game, say, in Inglewood or Las Vegas, I think would be more than doable um, potentially for them. And then it, it comes down to, do the Rams want to pony up the money to be able to put the game in Inglewood or Vegas? Uh, there is a neutral site game in Vegas that week, but it's on Thursday, BYU and somebody, BYU-Arizona, I think. Uh, next September, but it's on the Thursday before. So maybe it's in Vegas too. I don't know. Um, possibility. And then outside of that, you have power five teams that play an FCS opponent on, uh, September 4th, Baylor, Duke, Oklahoma state, etc. There's a bunch of them that could push those team teams back. But really the biggest hurdle here is if you're going to have someone fidget with their schedule and move an FCS opponent around, you have to then go to them and tell them to add a power five game away from home to their schedule for reasons that usually means money. And the only way to make it financially viable is a neutral site game. But even still, these teams are in the business of making bowl games. And that means playing FCS teams at home. So it's a little difficult, a little difficult. I'd put my money on TCU, UNLV. Or UConn. You got a choice? You got an opinion? I think TCU would be fun. TCU would be a lot of fun. I just wouldn't bet on that TCU happening. TCU in Vegas? TCU in Vegas would be, would be a lot of fun. Or TCU in Inglewood? TCU neutral site. If I'm TCU, I say Vegas. If I'm USC, I say Inglewood. <laughs> you know. Uh, That's fair. But, uh, but yeah, the ones that stand out, UConn does stand out because USC would have some negotiating power in that, in that they need to find opponents. So right. there's something there, but, uh, you know. Yeah, and big big shout out, by the way, uh, over on Twitter uh, to Warren Bell, who tweeted me and pointed out the UConn, uh, the, the UConn option, which is great, great pull, Warren, good stuff. Uh, let's get into the schedule. USC's 2020 schedule released last week. The Pac-12 released the entire 2020 schedule. We had been waiting for freaking ever. And finally, it came out the week, Alicia, that you were in Texas. So we couldn't talk about it on the Patreon. Uh, we talked about it with Trent. And me and Trent hashed it out. Are you going to go listen to our instant reactions to it over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy? I thought it was a super fun episode talking about the schedule with Trent. 
I'm going to save most of my thoughts for that. You guys can go listen to that if you'd like. But Alicia, I'm curious your thoughts looking at the 2020 schedule when USC opens up a neutral site game with Alabama at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. They come home to play New Mexico. They're at Stanford, home against ASU, at Utah on a Friday night, home against Cal, at Arizona. Then they get a bye week. Then they're home against Colorado, at Oregon in November, at home against Washington in November. And then they finish the season last two weeks of the year as expected at UCLA and then home to Notre Dame. Yeah, that last week of the the last month of the season is the one that really stands out. The four game stretch at Oregon, Washington, at UCLA, Notre Dame is that's the that's a tough finale. That'll be very interesting to see how USC goes uh, in those games, because those four games will dictate the season. Right. I think we all agree that USC will lose to Alabama and beat New Mexico, but uh, in between there, I think you we could see USC go on a on a reasonably strong run and come into that final month of the season with things very much still hanging in the balance. The other thing that stands out to me is the bye week. The bye week isn't helpful for USC except that it is a conventional bye week and that it pretty much splits the season, so you get a nice break halfway through. But after Arizona and before Colorado at home. Not a big help there. Uh, not not a lead up giving you two weeks to prepare for someone like Oregon or prepare for someone like Utah or, or whatever it is. And then, of course, right. the third thing is obviously, can USC stop playing Utah on Friday nights? Because at Rice-Eccles, the week after USC plays Arizona State, oh, sweet mother of God. The, 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 the Pac-12 South is probably going to be decided on October 2nd. Because USC, if USC loses to ASU and Utah, they're done in the South. That's the season right there. I put it on Twitter. Like those two games, six days apart, that's the season. Yeah. Because I, I think those are going to be the three best teams in the division. Uh, I would, I would imagine, I, I would guess SC is the the media favorite in the South. But if it's not SC, it's Arizona State. Arizona State and SC are coin flip. I think for who would be projected to win the division. But right after them is Utah, and then the benefit of the doubt based on their last two seasons, even though they lose a ton of dudes. They lose so much talent. But it's still Utah, and it's still Kyle Whittingham. He's going to have his guys ready. And it's still Rice Eccles, where USC has lost three straight games uh, in Salt Lake City. So having those two games there, I think it's very interesting, because if SC in... In a, in a vacuum, SC should win both of those games, right? Each one of them. They're, they they have more talent. They get ASU at home, uh, and SC plays well at home. Like they, they, they should beat ASU, even though they probably should have lost to them this past season uh, in Tempe. But it, it's, it's not unreasonable to say that SC should beat ASU. And Utah loses so many guys, it's not unreasonable to say that SC should beat Utah. But both of them, back-to-back, that early, six days apart, it's it, it's, it's squeaky bum time. Rice-Eccles on a Friday night. That's all I got to say. Rice-Eccles on a Friday night. Yep. Rice-Eccles on a Friday night. I mean, Rice-Eccles, Friday night. You, you, you know, you said the Pac-12 South might be decided. I don't 100% know about that because ASU and Utah meet in late November. So, 
Well, for, US, still... for USC's involvement in the Pac-12. Right. Well, so it's interesting because USC's first five games is definitely going to decide if USC is in the mix in the Pac-12 South, un- unquestionably. And then I feel like the last four games are very much is USC a national is USC in national contention for anything? But they have to succeed in the in the first half to get to that. Second uh, well, absolutely, half. absolutely. But it's 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 that's what I'm saying. It's a very it's a very clear ladder to me. You know how we always talk about Pete Carroll would say, or now we say, first, and Clint Hilton says, and people get mad at him. But you got to focus on the South, and then you got to focus on winning the Pac-12, and then you got to focus right. on winning your bowl game or whatever it is. The, the I see it laid out very clearly, putting Alabama to the side, the non-conference to the side. It is set up for, first, take care of business in the South. Then, take care of business for the Pac-12. Yeah, Put it, yourself if, in a position... If SC is good, if SC is good, I think the schedule is very favorable in the sense that it is structured in a way you get the Alabama loss over with immediately in week one. Just get that over with, right? You build the the impact of getting those two ASU-Utah games. If you're good and if you actually win those, getting them out of the way early is good. Get Build some national cred that way. And then you hold that in October when the schedule lightens up when you get Arizona and Colorado in the bye week. And you you build your ranking that way and you take that high ranking to November where you have Oregon, Washington, UCLA, and Notre Dame, which will have the entire season define everything. And if you're good, there's a road to be as good as you want to be there. If you're not, then that's a treacherous November that will certainly end up disastrous. Uh, well, abs- I mean, like, absolutely. But And we have to be able to talk about what if USC is good because... Frankly, this would just be a really depressing podcast if all we talked about how USC is going to get their butts kicked and fall fat, flat on their face like we uh, Let's be real though. Totally let's expect them to. But let's say USC does let's, we put USC loses to Bama, they beat New Mexico, they beat Stanford, they get on a roll, they beat ASU. They get on a roll, Utah is down, they beat Utah. Then they come back home and beat Cal, we expect them to beat Arizona, we expect them to beat Colorado. There is a universe where if USC takes care of, if USC takes care of their business there there is a perspective where you look at this and say USC is 7 and 1 going into that last month of the season at yes, which point at which point we are going to be talking about if USC beats Oregon now USC is a playoff contender right so because Oregon plays Ohio State in like week 2 yes so. now we'll temper that by saying USC could lose to Alabama beat New Mexico and then be uh three and two coming out of September or I guess three, which is, I I think that the realistic thing is you you can look at this and say, if things break, right, the schedule is going to be advantageous to building USC a resume. And if things break poorly, then it's going to really mount early for USC and they're just going to falter early and everything's going to be a disaster. Well, let's Let's be real though. It's, it's, it's going to be in the middle because that's what USC is going to do. That's what USC does. Absolutely. They're going to go eight and four by, they're going to lose to Alabama, obviously. They're going to lose one of the ASU or Utah games um, and fall behind the eight ball that way. 
They're going to build some momentum in the middle of the season, suck you back in. Then they're going to get the season completely, absolutely wrecked. Oh, can we already? Oregon and Washington games back to back. And then they're going to lose all um, all fan support going into those last two weeks. Oh, my gosh. That's the realistic. Okay, so, but here's the question that I'm sure everybody was asking where does Clay Helton get fired? And this I is this set up to be the interesting situation again where you lose to Bama, you beat New Mexico, you're one and one, you beat Stanford at Stanford, you're two and one, and then you lose back to back games to ASU and Utah, and you're three and two going into the middle the middle of October. And the question is, having lost those two games and taking yourself out of the South, does Mike Bone make his move there? If Mike Bone doesn't make his move there, then you're looking at Three-game winning streak, baby. Cal, Arizona, Colorado. And then we're we're going into that November 7th game where we're saying Clay Hilton can save his job by beating Oregon (laughs) or lose to Oregon. And then you get the three-game winning streak at the end of the season, Washington, UCLA, and then then Hilton upsets Notre Dame at the Coliseum. And all of a sudden we're looking at Hilton 2021 because Mike Bone didn't pull the trigger back when he had the chance oh on October second or so, October third, you know that's coming. Well, I, I if if you're looking at this, to me, there's if you want. We talked about this on Patreon. Uh, if, if you want to say where does Clay Helton get fired in this, I think there's two options. Yeah, it's after the Utah game if they start two and three. They start two and three right there. You ax him. Um, the other option is if. They lose the Arizona game because you have the bye week, and that Arizona loss would be unnegotiable. I mean, th- th- that's if you lose to Arizona. That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, if you lose to Arizona, like you need to get fired. Absolutely, yes. If you lose to Arizona, you should. You see be what fired. I'm saying? And then you have the bye week going into the to the latter half, right? And you kind of re- you, you reset your your standard. <laughs> For the last five games of the season. But uh, let's quickly run down through some superlatives before we get to the mailbag here. Uh, Most important game of the year. What do you got? Utah. I'm going to say ASU at home. Well, I mean, that's fair. It's one of those two, right? It's definitely one of those two. You need to at least split those. You cannot lose both of them. Yes. Game that you're circling. what's, What's that game? Uh, I'm, uh, what, what do you mean by cert? Like what, like game that I, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, just whatever that is, what's the one game you look at this and you're like, that's the game I am excited for, or am noting down for X, Y, or Z. Well, at Oregon, at Oregon's going to be the game where USC goes up to, goes up to Otson playing a team full of players that should have been at USC, and that game will say a lot about where both of the programs are, for better or for worse. Yeah, yeah in in the most positive situation for USC, that's a top 10 matchup. If you're Clay Hilton, that's the, your Washington this year. Yeah, in in, in your worst—oh, so Matt Fink's going to play? No, I meant th- that Washington from 2016. Oh, 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 gotcha, gotcha. The worst case scenario is SC goes in that game and and with no leverage and gets just completely the doors beat off of them again. 
Um, and that would be but watch awful a, going Watch in. a USC team that starts 3-2 and two and Mike Bone doesn't make his move and they're on that three-game winning streak and then that's their, that's their Washington the, 2016. The, or that's their Oregon 2019 and that's the, that's the wake-up call of like, yeah, yeah. This, this winning streak at the end of the season doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So uh, last one, trap game. What do you got? Well, I mean, you could look at you could look at the the Cal or Arizona. It's one of those two. Cal, I think it's Cal. After coming after the Utah game, you're back at home. Justin Wilcox, you 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 pantsed Cal last year, so you might not take them seriously. But we do think that is a good team and a better team yes. than USC showed they were in the game yes. that they played. So yeah, that that's probably the one. Arizona I, because I think it's, it's a road probably, game. Yeah, I think it's probably disrespectful for us to sit here and say that that's an automatic three-game oh, win streak. Yeah, for because sure. Because Cal is too well coached. Yes, I want to believe in Colorado, but I think Colorado's a year away. They they just lost too much last year. Yeah. So. Um, Colorado next year in, at Folsom Field, that's a danger zone. But this year, I don't think would be. Uh, take a quick break. Come right back. Wrap this thing up with the final mailbag. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's go to some rapid fire Q&A mailbag action. We got some tweets. King Camby says, what are the odds Clay Helton sees out his current contract, i.e. he's the head coach at USC till the end of 2023? What are the odds? I So here's my question about this. Like, sees out his current contract or sees out an active contract because I don't think there's any way in hell Clay Helton or any coach in America sees out any contract. Right. But that the, would so never happen. The contract that he's on right now is good till 2023, right? Yes. But if he gets down through 2023, he will be extended before that. Right. But if he, but, but I think, so I think the question is, does he get to 2023? I think if he survives 2020, he gets 2021. But I think it's more likely he gets fired in 2022 than continues on in 2023. So I would say uh, I would bet the under on that if we were if we were phrasing it like that. I would bet the under. Um, I still think that there's a positive. It all depends on how good are the highs, right? Like, well, like, like I, yeah, I would definitely bet the under um, and say no, but like. I go back to what I've said before. I can see a situation where the the next four seasons play out the way the first four did, in which the first season plays out where SC takes advantage of all the talent. Keaton Slovis, uh, the 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 receivers, the, the talent on defense. You're talking about Naoteote, Hufanga, Tufele, Tuipolotu, uh, Hunter Eccles, uh, ITS, Elijah Griffin, all those guys, right? Take take Drake Jackson, take advantage of all those guys, and they absolutely capitalize. And the talent carries USC forward um, to buy Helton some some leeway for the next couple of seasons. And they do that a couple of times to buy him leeway going forward before the talent drain really starts to hit. And then you get the 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 gap of where the last two recruiting classes weren't that great and then the talent goes back and then the coaching goes back and then 
everything crumbles again in like 2022 and 2023 where it just repeats 2018 and 2019. I could absolutely see that happening and playing out again, but I think that if it did, I think the trigger would be quicker on help. I think the quicker the the tricky thing is if he has another successful season, you have to start think and I know everyone just saying this is going to give people heart palpitations, but you're going to have to start talking about the idea of that looming extension again. And what are those terms? Those terms clearly have to be better, more advantageous for USC going forward than they than they were last time. But, but if you're Jimmy Sexton, are you going to allow that? Like, Yeah. I don't know. Well, Either way, so, I, I, I can't imagine he makes it to 2023. Yeah, realistically. See, well, the interesting thing is, so let's say 2020 goes okay, and Graham Harrell leaves for a promotion head coach whatever it is that he that he gets then in Ufanga leaves and all those guys yeah leave. then in 2021 you're looking at well maybe you get some leeway because you have a new offensive coordinator you're breaking in somebody new but by 2022 i don't think you have any leeway anymore so again i'm targeting 20 if things go well for helton and in slovis would be gone by that yeah point. by 2022 looks like the year but like you said if in 2020 or in 2021 he goes to the playoff then gear up guys that extension is coming which i don't think many people think he's going to the playoff but we're talking hypothetical so we can go to extremes wherever we want oh god yeah uh another extent i i I don't even want to know what the internet's gonna look like if that would happen (laughs) uh king camby also says alabama has four offensive linemen returning and Najee harris so we can probably predict the play sequence of the first uh offensive drive seven months in advance right question mark not Najee Harris is run, 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 run. Bryce Young throw, but but if Sarkis Collin plays, you know there there he there will not be, run the damn ball. <laughs> there, there there could be um some some plays for for Mac Jones or for for Bryce Young to establish himself early. You never know. Whatever it is, uh, <laughs> it's it's gonna be interesting. Yep. Uh, V Bosch 55 says, does Todd Orlando suck? I don't think Todd Orlando sucks. Um, is he as good as his good statistics claim or is he as bad as his bad statistics claim? I don't know. I think he's probably somewhere in the middle. We'll find out. You know what Todd Orlando is? And maybe this is why I got so feisty earlier in this episode. He's very medium. Just. Very, very medium. He's lukewarm beer. He's cannonball run too. But he's previously been ice cold. He what? Th- that beer was cold <laughs> at one point. Yes, the Clancy Pendergast was too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pat Mullenix says, "How do you think USC's new defense will fare against a strong Alabama offense?" Um, I, I don't know. I don't. It's all going to come down to stopping the run. I think the interesting thing is what Todd Orlando has done well is stop the run. We we used to talk about what did Clancy Pendergast's defense do well? They did. They focused well. I, I thought the the game plan, uh, Clayton's game plans were good in the sense of he knew that he had to take away something. He was going to game plan to take away that one thing. And more often than not, he at least minimized that thing a little bit. A little bit, at least. 
uh, when he was at his best, he would absolutely neutralize that thing. Um, but more often than not, he would at least limit the number one weapon that he would see as the number one weapon. Um, I don't know that Alabama has a number one weapon when th- they, they're they not bringing back Tua. So is it going to be the quarterback or is, is it just going to be the running game in general? Probably. And what is Don Orlando good at? Stopping the run? Is that going to help? I don't know. This is a defensive front that has proven that they are not that great against stopping the run, but was that the scheme of Clancy Pendergast? Or was that these players? Or was it a mixture of both? I don't know. So I'm I'm fascinated to know. My, My gut says that there's enough talent that USC has that they can find a way to stop the run. Will it be against Alabama? Probably not. The the one good thing that USC has going for it is that we expect them to be facing a quarterback who with who is either a true freshman or has limited starting experience. So it's possible they take advantage of that and and and, and you, you, force you, mistakes. You go all in and and try to stop the run and force them to throw. Yeah, I mean that that would be the basic on the front strategy, right? And maybe that works. We don't know, but uh if if for instance, if Todd Orlando immediately knows, here's how I get the most out of Jay Tufele, here's how the mo- I get the most out of Drake Jackson, here's how I get the most out of Palaeanaoteote, here's how I get the most out of Talano Hafanga, you throw them out there, they wreck havoc and Alabama has a mistake-prone quarterback because they're dealing with unknowns, then it's possible. At the same time, USC might not know what they're getting in the quarter. There won't be a lot of scouting ability when it comes to what this offense will look like post-Tua. So there will be some unknowns on on both sides, but it's not like USC couldn't have some fortune if there's some turnovers. Like, turnovers are the great equalizer, and inexperienced quarterbacks are usually prone to turnovers. Yeah, but still, it's an uphill battle, uh, nonetheless. Because uh, it's going to come down to trench play, and USC needs to figure out how to get better in the trenches ASAP. They certainly have the the talent on defense to be um, formidable in some sense. Uh, let's go to a question from Frankie. Will another average season really give Mike Bone enough courage to fire Clay Helton? You have to think if the buyout is that big of a deal, Another season lowers that buyout that much more. Um, And by then, Mike Bone will have had more time in the administration to to set things up the way he wants. You'd have to think that if it was another average, mediocre season that Clay Helton couldn't possibly survive a third time. Right? I mean, I I was willing to give Mike Bone the benefit of the doubt this time around because he was thrown into a difficult situation and he had to make a decision that while I disagree with it was a difficult decision with things on both sides. I think that having lived through what he's lived through over this December and January, Mike Bone might be, you and I are at our wit's end, right, Michael? Mike Bone might already be at his wit's end dealing with USC fans. Maybe that's, that convinces him that, like, I don't want to deal with this crap again. So who knows? But at the same time, I'm inclined to think that 
if given the opportunity, Mike Bone will move on and uh, and and find his own guy, be ready to put in his own guy. Yeah, he he has to see his Twitter mentions, right? Yes. Right. I mean, maybe he doesn't, I, but he's got to know. He can't not know. There's a reason would, he doesn't tweet. Think. There's a reason he only retweets things. It's a good strategy, though. Just don't yeah. tweet. Yeah. It's a good, good strategy. I like that. Uh, we just got an email from Randy from the Bay Area. who says, hey, Alicia and Michael. So Todd Orlando, dot, 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 dot. It seems like this would be the guy at defensive coordinator in 2020. His last season at Texas was a disaster, so I don't think I'm alone in having some reservations about him. I think he can have some success, but only if he is allowed. How much control do you envision him having? Will he be forced to keep current coaches? Will he be allowed to hire his own assistants? Any suggestions for position coaches he should hire? Sorry if I'm bombarding you with questions. Best of wishes and keep up the great work. Randy from the Bay Area. Randy, I think those are all good questions because they're all stuff that we need to find out, right? Like, I think in a perfect situation, Clay should say, hey, I didn't fire Coach K. I didn't fire Johnny Nansen. I didn't fire Greg Burns. If you need your own guys, talk to me and we can talk it out. Because I think Todd Orlando should be given the opportunity to do his job. Will he is the big question. I, I have to imagine that if Todd Orlando really needed something, does Clay Helton have enough leverage to be like, I know you want your defensive line coach, but you you got to keep Coach K. Like, I can't imagine that Clay Helton would be that tied to anyone save for maybe Johnny Nansen, right? Am I overthinking this? Oh, I agree. I agree. The hope would be that Clay Helton understands that he is again on his last legs and his new DC should make all the decisions that he needs to make. The hope would be that. I don't know if that will be uh, prescribed by Mike Bone or if it'll be understood from the get-go. But, uh, I mean, if I'm a DC and I'm coming in, no matter the circumstances I'm coming in, I want some control over who who my staff is. I want some control. So I guess we'll see. But... Interesting, on, on Tuesday, it came out that Kansas, um, Mike Eckler left Kansas. Uh, he was been their special teams coordinator and linebackers coach. He was at USC in 2013. He coached with Graham Harrell in 2016. So there's familiarity there. Uh, if USC is looking for a dedicated special teams coordinator, that might be an assistant to look at. But at this stage, for the defensive guys, I just want to see Todd Orlando announced and figure out where USC goes from there as far as making moves. Um, The only question I have, I suppose, is knowing the financials that USC has that they're dealing with, if you're USC, my my one resistance to that might be I don't want to have to pay more buyouts. I don't want to have to install newer buyouts for another new staff if I'm getting ready to, to fire people. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Those are all things that I think we will get the answers at some point in the near future. Um, Probably before signing day, but who knows at this point. As he doesn't have that many scholarships to play with, so I feel like this this back half of the signing day almost doesn't even matter. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Uh, Thanks for listening, as always. 
Uh, over on Patreon, you can listen with no ads. We had a few commercial breaks. You can just take those out if you go over to Patreon. Uh, for three thirty-three per month, three dollars thirty-three cents, cheaper than that uh, double cheeseburger from Mickey D's that you added extra cheese on that you're not on right now. Cheaper than that bad boy. Hey, cheaper. Not that I I would know exactly how much those cost. Yeah. Well, also cheaper than you know. Go to Starbucks. Get lately. I'm big on the dragon drink. Um, Starbucks did not pay for this advertising. I just really like the dragon drink. It's way more expensive than getting free than getting commercial free uh, rot episodes. So, you know, the dragon drink. I love the dragon drink. It's the like dragon fruit refresher, but with coconut milk. It's so good. Ugh. It sounds really, really it's, disgusting. It's wonderful. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, anyways, 333, ad-free, over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. For 555, you can get all of our ad-free main shows, plus all of our bonus content, which is a hell of a good deal, because we've got so much bonus content, so many bonus episodes coming to you, basically twice a week right now, at least. Uh, we have uh, reaction pods, uh, we've got takes with Jake that we're recording, we've got... Uh, uh, second and short Alicia's uh, solo show we've got so much coming to you on Patreon patreon.com slash reign of Troy our email address is reign of Troy at fansite.com and our phone number is 213-373-1872 that's gonna wrap this thing up uh, Alicia you got a final word the final word is dragon as in I love me some dragon drink gross disgusting yummy Alright, see you next week. See ya. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.